This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following speech was recorded in collaboration with Providence Protestant Reformed Church in Hudsonville, Michigan. I begin by reading two passages, two verses, Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the blessing that the apostle pronounces upon the church at the very end of the letter the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the communion of the holy ghost be with you all amen of all christian beliefs perhaps the trinity is the most difficult to understand The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but every form of belief has its terminology, its technical terms. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the word Trinity was invented by the church to explain a truth that is found in the Bible. And the word Trinity is simply a combination of two words, three Try and unity. Try unity or trinity. Three in one. The trinity explains who God is. In a certain sense, God is one. And in a certain sense, God is three. And to understand that, in what sense God is one, And in what sense God is three is to understand the Trinity. First, let's look at the truth that God is one. We're looking at the unity part of the word Trinity. God is one. That means that there is only one God. Christians are not poly. Theists, a polytheist, believes in many gods. Poly means many. Christians are not even tri-theists. A tri-theist believes in three gods. Tri means three. Christians are monotheists. Mono means one. A monotheist believes that there is only one God. The Bible teaches very clearly that there is only one true God. Here is the confession that every pious Jew in the Old Testament made in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And the first commandment presupposes that there is only one 
God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, says God. That's because there is only one God. There is no other God but Jehovah. The prophet Isaiah declares this in the name of God. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. And again, there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Now, the Old Testament, of course, teaches that there is only one God. The Old Testament Jews were monotheists, strict monotheists. The New Testament teaches the same thing. And remember, the New Testament was written to the Romans and the Greeks who worshipped many gods, but Jesus and the apostles insisted and proclaimed one God. Here Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, think of Zeus and Mars and Diana and all of the Roman and Greek gods, but unto us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Elsewhere, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 6, One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And once again, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so clearly then, the Bible teaches that there is only one God. And that's the first part of the doctrine of the Trinity. There is only one God. But at the same time, the Bible teaches that God is three. The Bible does not hesitate to give the name of God, ascribe the attributes of God, attribute the works of God, and present the worship of God to three individuals called the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost are two names for the same person. Let me repeat that. The Bible gives the name of God and the various titles and names of God to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. The Bible ascribes the attributes of God, the perfections or characteristics of God, to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. The Bible attributes the works of God, those things that only God can perform, to the Father 
and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible presents the worship of God to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And yet, there is only one God. Let me demonstrate those points and prove those things from Scripture. First of all, the name. The name. We read in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the so-called baptism formula, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, 19. And the important point to notice about that passage is this. We are baptized in or into one name. It doesn't say baptizing them into the names, plural, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but into the name, singular, that is to say that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have the same name, which is the name of God. The other passage we read was 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The point here is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, each of them equally blesses God's people. This is the blessing of God. They're not three independent, unrelated individuals who bless the people of God, but rather it is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who bless the people of God. And therefore, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit are equivalent. They're equivalent ideas. Thomas, the apostle Thomas, declares about Jesus, whom he saw after the resurrection, my Lord and my God, John 20 verse 28. And what he says literally is, the Lord of me and the God of me. So, Thomas there, without any contradiction from Jesus, calls Jesus God. John writes this about Jesus, whom he calls the Word, and the Word was God, John 1 verse 1. Jesus claims the title of God when he calls himself I Am. I Am is the Old Testament name of God. It's the name Jehovah. In John 8, 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Not I was. Not before Abraham was, I was. But before Abraham was, I am. And here is the meaning of I am. Exodus three fourteen, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, 
Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So when Jesus claims to be I am in John 8, 58, is it any wonder that the Jews who were present recognized this as a claim to be God and since they rejected his claim to be God, they took up stones and they wanted to stone him to death for the crime, they said, of blasphemy. The Holy Spirit is also called God in Acts 5. In verse 3, Peter says to Ananias, who had lied, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? So he lies to the Holy Ghost. In verse 4, he adds, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. To lie to the Holy Ghost is the same thing as to lie unto God, and therefore the Holy Ghost is God. And so the Father is called God in the Bible. The Son is called God in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit is called God in the Bible. And as we learned earlier, there is only one God. But these three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have the same name, God. The attributes of God. The attributes of God are his characteristics. If something or someone has the unique attributes of God, that means that that something is God. For example, God is eternal. If someone else in the Bible was called eternal, that someone would be God. God alone is almighty. If someone else is called almighty in the Bible, that someone is God. Now, according to Scripture, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are eternal. Each of them is called eternal, which means not that they simply last forever as we will in heaven or as the angels do, but it means that they have no beginning and no ending. They always are, they always will be. That's the idea of eternal. John 1, 1 and 2 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus says of himself in Revelation 1, verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega. Those are the two letters, the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So there he claims to be both eternal and almighty. We can make the same case for the Holy Spirit, but we won't for the sake of time. But the point is this, the Bible says that Jesus is eternal. God is eternal, Jesus is eternal, and the Holy Spirit is also eternal. The Bible says that Jesus is almighty. God is almighty, Jesus the Son is almighty, 
and the Holy Spirit is almighty. But there are not three eternals, and there are not three almighties. There's one eternal, there's one almighty, God is one, but yet there are three individuals who share the attributes of God. The works of God. There are certain works which only God can perform. And there are especially three, creation, providence, and salvation. I'll just look at creation this evening. The Bible declares in Isaiah 44, 24, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth forth the earth by myself. So here Jehovah God claims to be the only creator, and no one was there to help him. There was no other individual who was there to help him who isn't also God, right? Yet the Bible also teaches that the Son, Jesus, is the creator. John 1, 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Colossians 1, 16, but by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and those things refer to different ranks and levels of angels, different kinds of angels. So, for example, that means that Jesus made Gabriel. He created Gabriel. He created the archangel Michael. He created all of the angels in all of their ranks and kinds. All things were created by him and for him. Now, there are only two categories of being. There's creature and there is creator. Into which category of being does Jesus belong? Answer, creator. And if he is creator, he is God. Because only God can create. And we can say the same thing about the Holy Spirit, but again, for lack of time, I will not go there. We can also say that Jesus does the work of providence and that he does the work of salvation. But again, since I've proved that Jesus is the creator, which is a unique work of God, I have proved that the Bible ascribes the unique works of God both to the Father and to the Son, and also to the Holy Spirit. So the name of God is shared between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the attributes of God belong to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the works of God are performed by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the worship of God. The worship of God. Since the Bible is a book which teaches strict monotheism, that there is only one God, we would not be surprised to discover that the Bible strictly forbids the worship of anyone or anything else but God. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images.
So God does not permit the worship of any creature, a man, a woman, an animal, the sun, the moon, the stars, or an angel, or a devil. No creature. In Revelation 22, verse 8, John, the apostle, in a moment of weakness, fell down at the feet of the angel which showed him these things. And the angel's reaction was immediate. See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God, he said. In Acts 10, Cornelius, a Roman soldier, again in ignorance, fell down at the feet of Peter, a man, and worshipped him. Peter's response was, Peter took him up saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And so in the Bible, angels refuse to be worshipped and men refuse to be worshipped. But the same Bible approves of and even commands the worship of Jesus Christ. Approves of and commands it. In fact, the Bible commands all the angels to worship Jesus Christ. Which means that Jesus is not an angel because angels refuse worship. It means that he's not a mere man because mere men also refuse worship. He's not a creature because creatures refuse worship. He's a, he's the God. He's God. He's the creator. He therefore deserves and demands and must have worship. And all of heaven this evening, as we listen to this speech, all of heaven worships Jesus because he is God. And that's why Christians come together on the Lord's Day, the day on which he rose from the dead, to worship Jesus, to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why we have the blessing at the beginning and ending of our worship service in the name of the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus says in John 5.23. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. And then Matthew 14.33. After they see Jesus still the storm by a miracle... Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They worshipped him. Mark 5, verse 6. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. John 9, 38. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Many examples of Jesus being worshipped in the New Testament. And never does he refuse such worship. Jesus, who knew the strict law of God, he knew the first and second commandments, he knew that God alone may be worshipped, he accepted 
worship from men. The apostles who grew up as strict monotheistic Jews, they openly and freely worshipped Jesus. And the only conclusion we can reach, therefore, is that Jesus is God. And the apostles recognized him as God and proclaimed him as God. So to recap, the Bible is strictly monotheistic. The Bible teaches that there is only one God. And yet the Bible at the same time, and without any contradiction, also teaches that there are three individuals who are called God in the Bible, who have the name of God, who have the attributes of God, who perform the works of God, who receive the worship of God. And these two truths, there's one God and there are three individuals. These two truths are the building blocks of the doctrine of the Trinity. These are the two things that the early church had to struggle with. They believed both of these things to be true, but how could they bring these truths together and explain it and define it as a doctrine to be taught in the church. Now I underline this point because there is some misunderstanding about the Trinity here. When we say that God is three or a Trinity, we mean that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one God. There are only three in the Trinity and these are the only three. The Trinity is not this. The Father and the Son and the Virgin Mary. That's not the Trinity. And no Christian has ever taught that. The Trinity is not this. The Father and the Son and the angel Gabriel. No Christian has ever taught that either. The Trinity is not this, the Father and the Son and the Archangel Michael. Again, no Christian has ever taught that. And the Trinity does not mean this, that there's a Father and the Son and the Spirit, and one day we will also become gods and become part of the Trinity. Again, no Christian teaches that either. There is and always shall be an infinite difference between God, the Creator, and the creature. We will always be, we who believe in Jesus Christ, we will always be God's people, but we will not be God. We will never become God. So now we have to try to explain the essence of the doctrine of the Trinity. There is one divine being or one divine essence. The being of something is simply that what makes it what it is, that which makes it what it is and what distinguishes it from every other being. Isaiah asks this about God, to whom then will ye liken God or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The being of God is altogether other from everything else. 
Everything else is created. It is creature. God alone is creator. The divine being, therefore, is unique. You this evening and I this evening, we are human beings. We're human beings. God is the divine being. Romans 1.20 speaks of God's eternal power and Godhead. The word Godhead simply means his deity, his being God, his Godness. And that one Godhead, that one being, is indivisible, it is unchangeable, and it is eternal. You cannot divide the Godhead into parts. But this one Godhead is shared by three individuals, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three individuals are God and they dwell in and with one another. And so it's not correct to say that the Father is one-third part of God and the Son is one-third part of God and the Holy Spirit is one-third part of God. The three are equally God. And the word that the church has taken to describe this truth is persons. Now the word person is not really a biblical word either, but it's a word that the church decided upon to be the best word to describe the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the one being of God. They said they are three persons. You are a person, but you're not a divine person. You're a human person. A person is a conscious, intelligent, active individual distinct from other persons. A person has a mind, a will, a consciousness. You are a person and I am a person. Next to you or behind you or near you is another person, but that person is not the same person as you. Distinct persons. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. The Father is a conscious, intelligent, active individual, a person, but he is not the same person as the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son is a conscious, intelligent, active individual, a person, but he is not the same person as the Father or the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a conscious, intelligent, active individual, but he's not the same person as the Father or the Son. And yet, and here is the great mystery of the Godhead, yet all three distinct persons share the same being. They share the divine being. That's not true of us. You do not share the same being 
as the person next to you, behind you, or near you, another person. You're distinct persons, and you are also distinct beings. God is three distinct persons within one being. What then is the relationship between these three persons? We've got one being of God. Each of these persons shares equally in the one being of God. But what is the relationship between these three persons? The first of all we can say about that is that they are equal to one another. Equality in the right sense of the word. We speak about three persons. The first person is the Father, the second person is the Son, and the third person is the Holy Spirit, but they're equal persons. We must not think that there's a rank in the Trinity, that the Father is the highest, and then below him is the Son, and then below him is the Spirit. That's not true. They're co-equal. They're equal in power and glory and majesty. We mustn't think either that there's time in the Trinity. That the Father came first in time and then later the Son came into being and then later on the Spirit came into being in the sense of first, second, and third. They're co-eternal. Co-eternal. And there's no gradation of being in the Trinity. It's not that the Father is the most divine and then the Son is somewhat divine, and then the Spirit is even less divine than the Son. No, they are co-essential. They are of the same essence, not merely of a similar essence, but of the same essence. And they have three names, you might say, which indicate their personal properties. The Father is called the Father because he begets the Son. A Father begets. He begets the Son in an act of eternal love. Begetting is an act of love. I explained in the last speech what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. That speech is online. The Son is called the Son because He is eternally begotten of the Father and because He is in the bosom of the Father. John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And so Father and Son, these are terms that speak of love and fellowship and communion and closeness. And the Spirit, he is called the Spirit because the Father and the Son eternally Breathe him forth as the breath of love between them. The Father breathes forth the Spirit to the Son, and the Son breathes forth the Spirit to the Father. And so the Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. Jesus says in John 15, 26 about the Spirit, But when the Comforter is come, that's the Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Father sends 
or rather the Son sends the Spirit, and the, it says there that the Spirit proceeds from the Father. And so the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is love. Love. They're not three who squabble in some kind of rivalry. They live in perfect harmony and peace. The Father loves the Son in the Holy Spirit, and the Son loves the Father in the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son, which means that, the, that God... The Christian God, the triune God, is not a lonely deity. Some people have said that the reason God made the world is because he was lonely. Far from it. God could never be lonely because he enjoys perfect fellowship with himself within his own being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reason God created the world was so he could share that fellowship with a creature because he was pleased to do so. But in himself, he's the living God. He's full of life and love and fellowship within his own being. And now briefly at the very end, why is this important? Why should we believe such a thing? Apart from the fact that scripture clearly teaches it, what is the significance of the doctrine of the Trinity for us? And the main thing is, without the Trinity... There can be no salvation. If you do not have one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there can be no salvation. The Father must be divine in order to create us. The Son must be divine in order to become our Savior. As we learned in the last speech, he is the eternal Son of God and he became the incarnate Son of God. He took upon himself human flesh. He had to endure God's wrath on the cross in order to deliver us from that wrath. He had to have the power to rise again from the dead and therefore he had to be almighty and therefore he had to be God. And so there must be another person within the Godhead who is able to go forth and take upon himself a human nature and suffer under the wrath of God on the cross and rise again from the dead and be our Savior. And that is the Son. The Son becomes incarnate. But there must also be the Spirit because the Spirit must be sent from heaven into the hearts of God's people, and he must be almighty also, because he must have the power to overcome sin, enter into our hearts, overcome our unbelief and wickedness, create in us faith and holiness, and preserve us through all of the trials of temptations of life to the end, and bring us to heaven. Without that, we can't have salvation. We need a divine Father, a divine Son, a divine Spirit, one God, three persons. And that explains what the essence of salvation is. 
Salvation is not simply to be delivered from hell. Salvation is to be brought into fellowship with the God who within his own being is fellowship. He is friendship. He is family. And that's why we seek to have family life. We seek to have communion and fellowship and love and peace in the church of Jesus Christ because we worship the God of peace and the God of love and the God of fellowship. And so the call comes out to us this evening. Believe in this God. Believe in this God who is set forth in Scripture. Believe in the Father. Believe in the Son. Believe in the Holy Spirit. Believe in one God in three persons. The Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. And through believing, through believing, and only through believing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost will be with you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.